it's just a matter of time before we figure out how computers can themselves learn like humans do just human babies they have an amazing ability to learn by observing things around them and currently despite all the progress computers don't have that much ability but i just think it's a matter of time before we figure that out some sort of general artificial intelligence welcome to the msr india podcast in this podcast ravishankar krishna swami a researcher at the msr india lab speaks to neeraj kayal neeraj is also a researcher at msr india and works on problems related to or at the intersection of computational complexity in algebra number theory and geometry he has received multiple recognitions through his career including the distinguished alumnus award from iit kanpur the godel prize and the fulkerson prize Neeraj received the Young Scientist Award from the Indian National Science Academy in 2012 and the Infosys Prize in Mathematical Sciences in 2021. Ravi talks to Neeraj about how he became interested in this area of computer science and his journey till now. Hi Neeraj, how are you doing? It's great to see you after two years of working from home. Hi Ravi. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me here and it's great to be back with all the colleagues in office. Uh first of all, congratulations on the Infosys Prize and uh, it's an amazing achievement and it's a great uh, privilege for all of us to have you as a colleague here. So congratulations on that. Thank you. Yeah. So maybe we can get started on the podcast. So you work in complexity theory, which is I guess one extreme of I mean it's very theoretical end of the spectrum in computer science almost bordering mathematics. So hopefully by the end of this podcast we can uh, I mean convince the audience that there's more to it than intellectual curiosity. Before that right let me ask you about how you got into theoretical computer science uh, and the kind of problems that you work on. So could you maybe tell us a bit about your background and how you got interested into this subject? Yeah. So in high school I was doing well in maths in general uh, and I also wrote some computer programs to play some board games uh, like a generalized version of tic tac toe where you have a bigger board say 20 by 20 and you try to place five things in a row column or diagonal contiguously and and then i started thinking about how could a computer learn to play or improve itself in such a game so i tried some things uh, and didn't get very far with that but at that time i was pretty convinced that one day computers will be able to uh, really learn like humans do i didn't see how that will happen but i was sure of it and i just wanted to be in computer science to eventually work on such things but in college uh, i in the second year of my undergrad i enrolled for a course in cryptography taught by manindra agrawal at iit kanpur and then the course started off with some initial things which are like fairly predictable that something called symmetric key crypto systems where essentially it says that let's say the v2 want to have a private conversation uh, but anyone else can listen to us so how do we have a private conversation well if we knew a language a secret language which no one else did uh, then we could easily just converse in that language and no one will understand us and so this is made a little more formal in this symmetric crypto system and then uh, one day manindra ended uh, one of the lectures with the following problem 
but now suppose we did not know a secret language then we just know english uh, and everyone knows english and then how do we talk privately when everyone can hear us i thought about it for a few days it seemed completely impossible i mean it just and then manindra told us about these wonderful uh, crypto systems called the diffie hellman crypto system and the rsa crypto system where they achieved this and it was very surprising and the key thing that these crypto systems use is something that lies at the heart of computer science a big mystery still even to this day at the heart of computer science uh, there are these problems which we believe are hard for computers to solve in the following sense that even if a computer takes a very long amount of time if we give it a fairly long amount of time a reasonable amount of time it cannot solve it but if we give it time like till the end of the universe it can in principle solve such problems so that got me interested into which problems are hard and can we prove they are actually hard or not and to this day we don't know that so I, i'm guessing that you are talking about the factoring problem right yes factoring is one of the big ones here and the rsa crypto system uses factoring so it's actually very interesting right you started out by trying to show that some of these problems are very very hard but i think looking back your first research paper which happens to be a breakthrough work in itself is in showing that uh, a certain problem is actually easier to solve than we had originally thought right so it is this uh, seminal work on showing that primality testing can be solved in deterministic polynomial time i mean that's an amazing feat and you had worked on this paper with your collaborators as an undergrad right yes yeah that's uh, that's an incredible achievement so maybe to motivate others who are in undergrad who, and who have an interest and inclination in such uh topics could you maybe share us some story on how you got working in that problem and what sort of led you to the spark that eventually got you to this breakthrough result so my advisor manindra who also was the professor who taught us cryptography he had been working on this problem uh, for a long time and there were already algorithms that existed which were very good in practice very very fast in practice but they had this small chance that they might give the wrong answer the chance was so small that practically it did not matter but uh, still we as a mathematical challenge it remained whether we could remove that small chance of error and that's what the problem was about so manindra had this approach uh, and he had worked with other students also some of our seniors on it and in that course he came up with a conjecture and then when we joined me and my colleague uh, Nitin we joined this project we came across this conjecture and my first reaction was that the conjecture is false so i tried to write a program which would find a counter example and i thought it would be done in a few days just find the counter example and the project would be over so i wrote a program it will rain for some time didn't find a counter example so i decided to paralyze it a huge number of machines on the in the computer center in iit kanpur started looking for that counter example and then to my surprise we still couldn't find the counter example so there seemed to be something to it something seemed to be happening there which we didn't understand and in trying to sort of prove that conjecture we managed to prove some sort of weaker statement 
which sufficed for obtaining the polynomial time algorithm to test if a number is prime or not. But it was not the original conjecture itself. Uh, many days after this result came out, we met a mathematician called Hendrik Lenstra, who had worked on primality testing, and we told him about this conjecture. And after a few days, he got back to us, and he showed that if you assume some number theoretic conjecture is true, which we really, really believe it's true. Okay, I see. That's I see. So the the original conjecture which you hoped to prove true is false, but the weaker conjecture was actually true. You proved it to be true, and that was enough for your yes eventual application. So in some sense, we are very lucky that in trying to prove something false, we managed to prove something useful. Yeah, I mean it's a fascinating story, right? All the experiments that you ran pointed you towards proving it, and then you actually went and proved it. If if you had found, imagine what would have happened if you found a counterexample to at that time, right? So, uh, yeah, Hendrik's proof was very interesting. He showed that modulo this number theory conjecture, a counterexample existed, but it would have to be very very large, yes. and that's why you couldn't find it. So he explained it beautifully. Yeah. Yeah, thanks for that uh, story, Neeraj. So I guess from then on you've been working in uh, complexity theory, right? That's right. Yeah. So for for me at least the holy grail in complexity theory that I've often encountered or seen is the P versus NP problem, which many of us might know. But you've been working on a very equally important but a very close cousin of the problem, which is called the VP versus VNP problem, right? So I'm going to take a stab at explaining what I understand of the problem. So correct me whenever I'm wrong. So you are interested. in trying to understand the complexity of expressing polynomials using small circuits so for example if you have a polynomial of the form x squared plus y squared plus 2xy you could represent it as a small circuit which has a few uh, addition operations and a few multiplication operations like you could express it as x squared plus y squared plus 2xy itself or you could express it as x plus y the whole squared which may have a smaller representation in terms of a circuit so you have been working on trying to identify which polynomials have small representations and which polynomials are natural but still don't have small representations that's right is that a reasonable approximation of the problem you are thinking about yes that's right so another way to put the same thing is what is the power of uh, computation when you do additions multiplications subtractions all these arithmetic operations right. you can include division square roots also so i have seen this vp class and it makes a lot of sense to me it's the a set of all the polynomials that can be captured by small sized circuits with the plus i mean addition and multiplication gates i've also seen the vnp uh, class which uh, seems to me at least to be a bit uh, mysterious right so these are all the polynomials whose coefficients of the individual uh, monomials can be computed efficiently is that a reasonable de- definition at least is my understanding correct yeah that's the uh, technical definition of this class but there's another natural sort of intuition why we want to look at it and the intuition is that it relates to counting the number of uh, solutions to a problem and also uh, therefore to computing probabilities of various things happening i see okay so that yeah that gives me a lot more understanding so and i guess when when you are able to estimate probabilities you could also do sampling over those objects yes exactly 
yeah that's a very nice connection i did not know about this thanks for that so you have been working you have an agenda on trying to show some sort of a separation between the two classes right vp and vnp by constructing these low depth uh, circuits so you are able to show that all all polynomials in vp have a, admit a low depth representation and your hope in this agenda is to find one uh, polynomial in vnp which does not have a low depth representation that's right, right. so how far are you in this agenda and do you think we have all the tools needed to actually achieve success through this sort of a method yeah so just uh, historically for the converting a circuit or a program into a low depth program this was done earlier most of this work uh, was done by other people so we haven't contributed much in that direction we have been trying to prove certain polynomials don't have small uh, depth and uh, small sized arithmetic circuits so it's not clear to us whether the existing techniques are good enough to prove this or not and like on mondays wednesdays and fridays i think they are capable maybe and on the other days i think maybe not and this is what researchers generally deal with especially in these areas where you don't know whether your tools are good enough or not and very recently just last year there was a big breakthrough by a try of complexity theorists who showed somewhat good lower bounds for all constant depth arithmetic formulas or circuits and what was surprising also about this result is that they used in a very clever way techniques that were already known so they would have probably shown it on a monday or a wednesday or a friday okay <laughs> yes. okay that's very interesting so you still don't know whether this will lead to success or not through this route yes yeah we still don't know that are there other people approaching this problem through other techniques so there's a program called the geometric complexity uh, theory program initiated independently by other people who basically try to understand uh, symmetries because this implicit in this uh, question is a whole bunch of symmetries and they try to exploit that and there's a field of mathematics called group theory and representation theory which is all about understanding symmetries of objects uh, that area is beautiful really beautiful and a lot of advancement has been made there so people have been trying to also attack this problem through using those tools yeah that's that's very nice i think so basically you're saying a lot of like diverse techniques from math and computer science are at play here and trying to help you on your progress that's right i see i mean it's very beautiful i find it fascinating and beautiful that a lot of these different diverse techniques from mathematics and computer science come into play into establishing these lower bounds and what's more fascinating to me is that they are all not just from a intellectual curiosity standpoint they seem to be powering a lot of things that we take for granted right right from like as you said messaging each other through social networks or whatever it is they seem to be like at the foundation uh, the inherent hardness of certain problems seem to be at the foundation of a lot of things that we take for granted yeah that's right ravi so for example i do transactions using my mobile phone and anyone who is within a reasonable distance of my mobile phone can read all the signals that my phone is sending um, so they can see all the communication that i am having with the bank and the fact that despite that they are not able to infer my banking passwords relies on the fact that 
certain problems are very in, inherently hard to solve and that's what we are trying to prove okay so that's very interesting neeraj and in the last part of this podcast i want to flip uh, the topic around a little bit so you've been working a lot on showing lower bounds and in lower bounds in arithmetic complexity but lately in the last couple of years you've also been using those insights into showing some very nice algorithms for some learning problems i find that also very cool so maybe you can talk a little bit about that yeah so the algorithms that we are trying to devise are trying to f- solve the following problem more general version of it is the following given a function uh, or a polynomial what's the smallest uh, number of operations that you need to do to be able to compute that function or polynomial so for boolean functions uh, this has a very long history this essentially is like designing chips and, and you can imagine it was naturally very useful and uh, to think about but more recently it turns out a lot of uh, works have found another very surprising connection because of which this problem specifically for polynomials has also become very interesting and the connection is this suppose you have some very big data set for now think of this data set as consisting of a bunch of points in high dimensional space for example you can think of images as a point every image is a point in a high dimensional space now it turns out that you can take statistics of this data so for example you can take what's the average value of the first coordinate what's the average value of the second coordinate or what's the average value of the product of the first two coordinates in this data set and so on so you can take some of these statistics encode them as the coefficients of a polynomial and here's the interesting part when the data has some very nice structure then this polynomial tends to have a small circuit i see and so when you want to understand the structure of data so this general area is called unsupervised learning turns out that it's useful to find small circuits for polynomials so this is the computational problem that we are looking at given a polynomial what's the smallest number of operations or what's the smallest circuit representing this polynomial so if you are able to find the the smallest circuit representing this then from that you will be able to infer the underlying distribution or the prop- the structure of the underlying data yes yes that's right so uh, this is one connection and it also turns out that the lower bounds that we are proving showing that certain things are very hard to compute are also useful for now devising algorithms to find the circuits of polynomials which do have small circuits and maybe let me give you some very rough uh, sense of how that comes about and i find this a bit fascinating here's how the lower bounds proofs work so underlying all those lower bounds for the various subclasses of circuits that we do have is a collection of linear maps and now it turns out that when you are given a polynomial which has a small circuit using this polynomial and the collection of linear maps which go into the lower bound proof you can form another big linear map such that very roughly the eigen spaces of this new linear map 
correspond to the to the smallest circuit for f i see and this uh, was the connection that we discovered some time ago which helps us find small circuits so you find small circuits by computing the eigen space of the of the mapped uh, yes of this other linear map that's right away i see that's that's very nice okay so i think uh, we covered a lot of the topics that i wanted to cover so maybe i'll end with two philosophical questions so one is you began the podcast by talking about how as a kid you thought computers or machines could be able to do everything that human intelligence can do so i, I think it's a vague question but what's your take on that now and two is what advice would you give for budding theoreticians whether they are in school or college or grad school what sort of advice would you give them so for the first question ravi i know a lot of other people also share this feeling that it's just a matter of time before we figure out how computers can themselves learn like humans do just human babies they have an amazing ability to learn by observing things around them and currently despite all the progress computers don't have that much ability but i just think it's a matter of time before we figure that out some sort of general artificial intelligence to your second question ravi i don't have much to offer other than perhaps a banal comment that anyone looking to work in this area should really enjoy thinking about these kinds of problems they tend to be rather abstract sometimes the applications are not always apparent but if you enjoy thinking about them i'm sure you'll do well that's great neeraj uh, it's it's been a pleasure chatting with you thanks a lot for your time and uh, hope you had fun yeah thanks ravi thanks a lot for having me